Welcome to eBible Fellowship's Sunday Bible Study. For broadcast times in your area of these studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now it's time to begin our Sunday study with your speaker, Chris McCann. Okay, uh, we're going to continue with our study of Jeremiah chapter 50. And I'm going to read from verse 1 through verse 8. The word that Jehovah spake against Babylon and against the land of the Chaldeans by Jeremiah the prophet. Declare ye among the nations and publish and set up a standard, publish and conceal not. Say Babylon is taken, Bel is confounded, Merodach is broken in pieces, her idols are confounded, her images are broken in pieces. For out of the north there cometh up a nation against her, which shall make her land desolate, and none shall dwell therein. They shall remove, they shall depart, both man and beast. In those days and in that time, saith Jehovah, the children of Israel shall come, they and the children of Judah together, going and weeping. They shall go and seek Jehovah their God. They shall ask the way to Zion with their faces thitherward, saying, Come, And let us join ourselves to Jehovah in a perpetual covenant that shall not be forgotten. My people hath been lost sheep. Their shepherds have caused them to go astray. They have turned them away on the mountains. They have gone from mountain to hill. They have forgotten their resting place. All that found them have devoured them. And their adversaries said, We offend not because they have sinned against Jehovah the habitation of justice, even Jehovah, the hope of their fathers. Remove out the midst of Babylon and go forth out of the land of the Chaldeans and be as the he goats before the flocks. And I'll stop reading there. Now we, uh, in our last study in this chapter, we were discussing Babylon. And, well, really, I think I'll just go over it quickly again. Because we have it in our mind that when the Bible says go out of Babylon, it's telling us go out of the church. And it's a difficult thing because the language is very mysterious. God calls it mystery Babylon to let us know that he has hidden truth concerning this. And so uh, it's very hard for us to think of the fall of Babylon and going out of Babylon, not as the end of the church age, but as the end of the great tribulation and the beginning of judgment day on the world. And just just remember this, um, and I'll give you a few reasons why Babylon is a picture of the world. When we we heard the study of the book of Jeremiah, through family radio, and when we heard that those in Judea had to go into captivity. Remember that? Uh, It was taught, well, the Jews historically had to leave Judah and go to Babylon into captivity. That was God's will. Now, what was the spiritual teaching of that? What was the uh, teaching of the Bible concerning Judea? What did Judea represent? The church, all all the Jews that God was speaking to in Judah were types and figures of the New Testament churches and congregations. 
They had to leave Judea. We understood that you must come out of the church. That was correct. And go to Babylon. And what did Babylon represent? The world. So we, we've already had that understanding that Babylon represented the world. It, it just got kind of, um, confused because of the, the great similarity that God uses in discussing Babylon. Uh, like he'll use almost identical verses describing the judgment on Babylon as the judgment on Jerusalem or on Judah. And now we understand why. Because it's the same cup. The judgment on Judah, Jerusalem, was a judgment on the church. And God uses almost, in some places, identical language to describe the judgment on Babylon because it's the same cup of wrath. It's the same judgment. But a second thing is the Great Tribulation period. We have known for some time is typified by the 70-year period from 609 B.C. through 539 B.C. And, uh, for instance, in Jeremiah chapter 29, it says in verse 10, For thus saith Jehovah that after 70 years are accomplished at Babylon... I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. 70 year period, 609, 539. And then what happened in 539 BC? Historically, the Bible's clear. The Medes and the Persians came against Babylon and defeated it and overcame Babylon. And that 70 year period, we've understood is a representation of the entire Great Tribulation period of 23 years. While the fall of Babylon historically doesn't point to the fall of the church, because when Babylon took over Judah earlier in that 70-year period, that would point to the fall of the church. But the end of the 70 years doesn't. It points to the fall of the ones that took over the church. Satan and his emissaries. It, it points to the end of the great tribulation because the 70 years typifies the great tribulation. And, and so the fall of Babylon in that sense too would identify with May 21, 2011, not May 21, 1988 when the great tribulation began. So that's the second reason. Now let's look at this verse in Jeremiah 51. Jeremiah 51 and in verse 49. And it says there as Babylon has caused the slain of Israel to fall. All right. Now Israel would here represent who? The churches. Babylon has caused the slain of Israel to fall. So Babylon, we know um, Satan is likened to the king of Babylon and his kingdom of darkness as God loosed Satan to come against the churches and congregations. He caused or he killed the professed believers within the churches and congregations. It was Satan who... We'll have questions later. Oh, uh, Jeremiah 51, 49. Yeah, sorry. 
And, and, um, uh, I forgot what I was saying. <laughs> All right, well, here's quiz. or see if you were listening. What was I just saying? <laughs> Satan was loosed to wreak havoc on the churches and congregations. See, it's very delicate up here. <laughs> Slight shift. And <laughs> well, anyway, as Babylon has caused the slain of Israel to fall, and, and that would be the fall of the churches and the congregations. So at Babylon shall fall the slain of all the earth. Now that's saying something different. Babylon caused the slain of Israel to fall. That is, it was instrumental in the judgment on the churches. And as a result of that, God's going to do something. And, and he's going to do it at Babylon. Uh, if you go back to Jeremiah 50, it says in verse 15, Shout against her round about. She has given her hand. Her foundations are fallen. Her walls are thrown down. For it is the vengeance of Jehovah. Take vengeance upon her as she has done unto her. And then in verse 28, the voice of them that flee and escape out of the land of Babylon to declare in Zion the vengeance of Jehovah our God, the vengeance of his temple. Why vengeance? Because Babylon has caused the slain of Israel to fall. She has judged, or God uh, loosing Satan, has used him to destroy the churches and congregations And in turn, after that period of time is over, then at Babylon shall fall the slain of all the earth. Judgment day. Judgment day is when the slain of all the earth fall. And that's why when we read anywhere about the fall of Babylon, it came after 70 years, and that 70 years typified the Great Tribulation, and it comes as a result of God taking vengeance for His temple. So the temple was already destroyed, and it it uh, is pointing to Judgment Day itself. Now, um, also look at Isaiah 13. Isaiah chapter 13, in verse 1. The burden of Babylon which Isaiah the son of Amos did see. Now we, we went over this before. Um, there's several places where God will speak of the burden of such and such, and then he goes on to discuss it. He continues to discuss uh, that which uh, was in view. And it's the same thing in Isaiah 13. The context is set by verse 1, the burden of Babylon. Well, what does Isaiah 13 talk about? Well, you can, uh, it doesn't take long in verse 6. How ye for the day of Jehovah is in hand. Verse 9, behold, the day of Jehovah cometh. Verse 10, for the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light. And that's language that uh, matches Matthew 24, 29 immediately after the tribulation. Verse 11, and I will punish the world for their evil. The, the context of this chapter is, is without question, Judgment Day. 
It's not judgment on the churches. It's judgment on the world. And in this context, notice it goes on to say in verse 13, I will shake the heavens and the earth shall remove. And uh, then it says in verse 14, and it shall be as the chase row and as a sheep that no man taketh up. They shall every man turn to his own people and flee everyone into his own land. Everyone that is found shall be thrust through. And everyone that is joined unto them shall fall by the sword. Their children also shall be dashed to pieces before their eyes. Their houses shall be spoiled and their wives ravished. Behold, I will stir up the Medes against them. Why the Medes? Who destroyed Babylon? The Medes and the Persians. And and God is talking about the burden of Babylon. This is its burden that it's judgment day. And it's time to judge Babylon. It's the day of Babylon's fall. And uh, it goes on to say in verse 19, And Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldees' excellency, shall be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. Back to Babylon. It's um, going back to Babylon because that's what God's been talking about all the way through. So when God says that Babylon is fallen, Babylon is fallen, as he says in Revelation 18 and Revelation 14 and other places, we have to think, well, Babylon didn't fall um, during that 70 years. It didn't fall during the Great Tribulation. It fell at the end of the 70 years. At the end of the Great Tribulation, God now will cause the slain of all the earth to fall at Babylon. It's judgment day. And while that becomes very important in chapters like the one we're looking at in Jeremiah 50, because uh, as we we, uh, discussed last time, look at verse 2. Declare ye among the nations and publish and set up a standard, publish and conceal not Say, Babylon is taken. You see the difference concerning what Babylon represents? If Babylon is the end of the church age, then, well, that's a different matter. Now, uh, you know, God wanted us to warn the world that the sword is coming, but I don't remember necessarily that we were specifically to go out and and uh, tell everyone it's the end of the church age. It's the end of the church age. That was a bit of the information, a part of what God opened up. But you see, this is a different matter. When we understand that Babylon's fall identifies with the beginning of judgment on May 21 in the year 2011, and then God is saying, declare among the nations and publish Set up a standard, publish, and conceal not. That's a very strong emphasis. Don't hide it. Set up a standard. A standard is like a flag that you you let cause everyone to see. An ensign, it's called in Isaiah chapter 11. And also publish. It's uh, almost completely contrary to what we initially thought. It is completely contrary we had thought, well, we, we don't have to say anything about this. 
about the world being in judgment day. And even some people came out and said, well, we're to hide ourselves. And, and literally they meant we're, we're not to say anything about the Bible. We're not to discuss the Bible at all. And, and God nowhere, nowhere in the Bible ever gives his people that instruction. We're always to share truth. And, and by the way, God is commanding us to feed sheep. Well, how do you feed sheep when you hide? How do you feed sheep when you're quiet and you don't publish things? We don't know who the sheep are. Uh, is, is this the sum total of a great multitude? No, there's a great multitude out there in all the nations of the earth and we have no idea who they are. And, and that would mean we have to go about things exactly as we did before. When we were seeking lost sheep, what do you do? You take the seed and you throw it everywhere. Every opportunity you have, you, you spread the gospel because we don't know if that's one of God's elect. And we don't know if one of God's elect is over here. And it's the same thing with, with sheep. How do we know who God saved? We, we have no idea who God might have saved. And, and so we have to also, um, when nourishing spiritually God's sheep, do the exact same thing. You, you spread it far and wide and that they might hear. Well, um, let, let's go on to verse three. In Jeremiah 50, for out of the north, there cometh up a nation against her, which shall make her land desolate. Now, this is one of those similarities because it's the same cup of wrath. Where did Babylon come from against Judah? From the north. We, we read in uh, Jeremiah 1. In Jeremiah 1, it says in verse 14, then Jehovah said unto me, Out of the north an evil shall break forth upon all the inhabitants of the land. And, and that's referring to the Babylonians coming against Judah as God would bring this northern army that he raised up to destroy his own people due to their unfaithfulness and rebellion against him. And likewise, since it's the same cup, God uses similar language out of the north. Now, historically, the Medes and the Persians are said to have approached Babylon. And this isn't in the Bible that I could find, but it's, um, it's secular history that they, the direction that they entered into Babylon was from the north because the position of their nation wasn't exactly north northern uh, direction from Babylon, but they're saying that they came from the direction of the north when they entered into the city and took Babylon. But we do know that it's referring to the nation that conquered Babylon, and that would be the Medes and the Persians. And so they came from the north, and and God is uh, speaking of the Medes and the Persians, who would be the Lord Jesus Christ, and his army of his elect they are the ones that that are in the army of Christ who come from the direction of the north to conquer Babylon. And uh, for out of the north there cometh up a nation against her which shall make her land desolate. Now the word desolate 
is found in Psalm 73. Psalm 73 and verse 19. And this is that, um, that good Psalm where it, it, it's from the viewpoint of a believer who's envious at the wicked. And, and then, uh, it says he was envious until in verse 17, I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood either their end. So we can be envious at people until we look into the scriptures and then we see the end. We realize what's coming at the end of things and, and then envy should flee away. And then it says in verse 18, surely thou, thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou castest them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation as in a moment? They are utterly consumed with terrors. And the word desolation is the same as desolate in our verse. And how are they brought into desolation? And this is referring to the day of judgment as in a moment. And that phrase, as in a moment, is something uh, that God uses fairly often to describe judgment day. For instance, remember in Isaiah 26, in verse 20, what it says, There come my people. Enter thou into thy chambers and shut thy doors about thee. Hide thyself as it were for a little moment until the indignation be overpassed. Because the moment is now. From May 21 and throughout this entire period of, of time, which is good possibility of the last 1600 days, God likens it to a little moment. Hide yourself, but not literally. And don't withdraw from sharing the gospel, but hide yourself in Christ because you're dead and your life is hid with him in God. It says in Colossians three, that's where you must be hidden in the day of judgment spiritually in him. And and then you would qualify to enter into the chamber or like the five wise virgins they they entered into the marriage and then the door was shut. Well, this is basically a further uh, description of filling out of that idea. Come, my people, enter in, into thy chambers, shut thy doors about thee, and hide hide thyself as it were for a little moment until the indignation be overpassed. Now, why would God use that kind of a lang- use that type of language if if all the believers were raptured and with him in heaven forevermore. Why hide yourselves for a little moment? It, it's referring to God's people who are left alive and they remain upon the face of the earth in the day of judgment. And we have to wait, but we wait safely just as Noah and his family were in the safety of the ark when God shut them in. We're in the safety of Christ as he has delivered his people until this moment uh, be passed and, and uh, this, uh, this period of judgment be over. Well, also in Isaiah 13, let's go back there. And the same word desolate of, in our verse in Jeremiah 50 is found in Isaiah 13 in verse 9. Behold, the day of Jehovah cometh, cruel, 
both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. So the same word, and again the context is the judgment upon Babylon, who the Lord is using to typify and to illustrate uh, the world itself. Um, going back to Jeremiah, I'm going to look at uh, just a few verses in Jeremiah 50 and 51, where this same word is found. Jeremiah 51 in verse 28 and 29. Prepare against her the nations with the kings of the Medes, the captains thereof and all the rulers thereof, and all the land of his dominion. And the land shall tremble and sorrow for every purpose of Jehovah shall be performed against Babylon to make the land of Babylon a desolation without an inhabitant. And do you remember that phrase, without an inhabitant, what it means, what it spiritually identifies with? When God uses it to describe Jerusalem and Judah, back in Jeremiah chapter 6, Jeremiah 6, in verse 8, Be thou instructed, O Jerusalem, lest my soul depart from thee, lest I make thee desolate, a land not inhabited. Okay, God just told us what it means when he makes the land desolate, not inhabited. It, It means, lest my soul depart from thee. If his soul departs, the land is desolate without an inhabitant. can have all kinds of people, but you lack the one inhabitant that's important. God himself. And that was the problem in the churches. They were made a desolation without an inhabitant because God wasn't there. Well, now the Lord is using the same language concerning Babylon in Jeremiah 51. Uh, to make the land of Babylon a desolation without an inhabitant, because God has departed. He, he has left, in the sense he has put out the light of the gospel and shut the door to heaven. Well, also, in verse 36 of Jeremiah 51, Therefore thus saith Jehovah, Behold, I will plead thy cause and take vengeance for thee, and I will dry up her sea, And make her springs dry, and Babylon shall become heaps, a dwelling place for dragons, an astonishment and a hissing without an inhabitant. And um, also in 41 of the same chapter, Jeremiah 51, 41, How is Shishak taken, and how is the praise of the whole earth surprised? How has Babylon become an astonishment among the nations? The sea has come up upon Babylon. She is covered with the multitude of the ways thereof. Her cities are a desolation, a dry land, and a wilderness, a land wherein no man dwelleth, neither doth any son of man pass thereby. And and there is, again, references to Christ. The son of man doesn't dwell in Babylon uh, because he has uh, left it, he has forsaken it, just as God did the churches earlier, what happened to the churches, we can expect will happen to the earth as God is first giving the churches the cup of his wrath and then he takes that identical cup and shares it with the world.
Well, all right, going back to Jeremiah 50 in verse 3. For out of the north there cometh up a nation against her which shall make her land desolate, and none shall dwell therein. They shall remove, they shall depart, both man and beast. Now God is making a point that He doesn't want us to miss that none will dwell in Babylon, both man and beast. But what about the true believers? What, what about God's people? We're still here. We, we understand neither the Son of Man, but uh, what about the, the children of God, the elect? Well, uh, you know, uh, there's something interesting, I think, that uh, we can see uh, by comparing some more scriptures. Also in Jeremiah 50, a little further into the chapter in verse 15 and 16, it says, There shout against her round about. She has given her hand. Her foundations are fallen. Her walls are thrown down, for it is the vengeance of Jehovah. Take vengeance upon her as she has done do unto her. Cut off the sower from Babylon, and him that handleth the sickle in the time of harvest, for fear of the oppressing sword, they shall turn everyone to his people, and they shall flee everyone to his own land. Everyone is going to turn to his people and go to his own land. And, and that fits remove out of the midst of Babylon and go forth out of the land of the Chaldeans. God is speaking to his people. We're to come out of her, my people, as Revelation 18 says. And everyone will go to his people and to his land. And that language actually is found uh, in several places. And um, I, hope, I hope you can just follow uh, along with as we go to these verses. In Isaiah 13, again, back to Isaiah 13, beginning in verse 13. And remember, once again, the burn of Babylon, and I will punish the world. This is the chapter where God joins Babylon and, and the judgment on the world uh, uh, together. And it says in Isaiah 13, 13, Therefore I will shake the heavens, and the earth shall remove out of her place, in the wrath of Jehovah of hosts, and in the day of his fierce anger. And it shall be as the chaste roe, and as a sheep that no man taketh up. They shall every man turn to his own people, and flee everyone into his own land. There it is again. Everyone goes to his own people and flees to his own land. In the context of Judgment Day and the judgment on Babylon in Isaiah 13, go to your own people, go to your own land. Now, another way of saying that same thing is everyone who is righteous will be righteous still, and everyone who is filthy will be filthy still. So you have the righteous people and you have those that are not righteous, the unsaved people. Everyone goes to their own people and everyone goes to their own land, whether it be the kingdom of God or whether it be this earth. You, you go to your, uh, to who you identify with. You go to the nation that you are aligned with, 
And uh, remember what Jesus said in the Gospel of John, in John chapter 10, when he was speaking of the sheep, in verse 3, To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, they're his own sheep. And then um, look at John 15. John 15 in verse 19. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. So there are those that belong to Christ, his own, and then the world's own. So every man goes to his own people and everyone goes to his own land when we enter into the day of judgment, which we have. And now the the camps are completely divided. The, the sheep and the tares are separated. All that's accomplished and finished. And now it's just a matter of punishing the world for their sin and trying the righteous. And, and to see uh, if they're gold, silver, precious stones, or, or if there's any wood, hay, stubble mixed up within. Let's put them into the fiery trial of faith. And, of course, the wood, hay, stubble will burn up. And, and those, what will happen to the wood, hay, stubble? There's no literal fire, but they will go to their own. They will go to their own. They're going to go to their own people if the fire gets too hot, if the trying of faith is too severe, if the time of testing is too long. Eventually, they will go to their own, leaving the people of God, the people of Christ, and and their own kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. And um, this language is found also in Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel chapter 34, a chapter where God speaks of his flock as first being abused by the shepherds within the churches and congregations, but God caused them to cease from feeding the flock, which uh, is language pointing to the end of the church age. And then it says in verse 11, For thus saith the Lord Jehovah, Behold, I, even I, will both search my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeketh out his flock in the day that he is among his sheep that are scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and will deliver them out of all places where they have been scattered in the cloudy and dark day. And I will bring them out from the people and gather them from the countries and will bring them to their own land and feed them upon the mountains of Israel by the rivers And in all the inhabited places of the country, I will feed them in a good pasture and upon the high mountains of Israel shall their fold be. There shall they lie in a good fold and in a fat pasture shall they feed upon the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock and will cause them to lie down, saith the Lord Jehovah. Here God is describing the uh, great relation. Uh, And then uh, we quickly read of the time after, I will bring them out from the people and gather them from the countries and will bring them to their own land. It's in their own land that the Lord has a plan to feed his sheep. And and that's um, at the point where we're at. 
that um, focus that is pretty much disdained by a great many people, the idea of feeding sheep, uh, how does that compare with the exciting and, and dramatic going forth of the gospel to seek the lost sheep uh, all over the ends of the earth? And it, it doesn't compare, does it? It's a menial task to feed sheep. You, you have to, they're already gathered. There's, there's, um, no drama. Uh, where, where's all the, the exciting things, uh, involved in feeding sheep? There isn't any. And, and yet, uh, this is what God has for us. This is His plan. It is to feed the sheep. Uh, as the great catch of fish have already been brought in in John 21, and then the Lord gives directions on feeding His flock. In Ezekiel 36, in verse 24, For I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries and will bring you into your own land. Now, we've probably uh, often read this and, and perhaps thought of of heaven itself, and that's a part of it. It will eventually, and we will be uh, led into the kingdom of heaven, into the new heaven and new earth, but it starts here. In verse 25, Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Will I cleanse you? A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I'll give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and ye shall keep my judgments and do them, and ye shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and ye shall be my people, and I will be your God. And uh, this is indicating that when we become saved uh, spiritually, uh, God is um, relating that to dwelling in the land. And then also in verse 33 of Ezekiel 36, For thus saith the Lord Jehovah in the day that I shall have cleansed you from all your iniquities, I will also cause you to dwell in the cities, and the waste shall be builded, and the desolate land shall be tilled, whereas it lay desolate in the sight of all the pass by. And they shall say, This land that was desolate, is become like the Garden of Eden, and the waste and desolate and ruined cities are become fenced and are inhabited. Then the heathen that are left round about you shall know that I, Jehovah, build the ruined places and plant that 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 was desolate. I, Jehovah, have spoken it, and I will do it. Thus saith the Lord Jehovah, I will yet for this be inquired of by the house of Israel to do it for them. I will increase them with men like a flock, as the holy flock, as the flock of Jerusalem, in her solemn feast, so shall the waste cities be filled with flocks of men, and they shall know that I am Jehovah. And there again the Lord is speaking about bringing His people into a land, and He ties it in with uh, referring to them as flocks. Well, just one more passage in Ezekiel 39, and beginning in verse 25. Therefore, thus saith the Lord Jehovah, Now I bring again the captivity of Jacob and have mercy upon the whole house of Israel and will be jealous for my holy name after that they have borne their shame 
and all their trespasses whereby they have trespassed against me when they dwelt safely in their land and none made them afraid when I have brought them again from the people and gathered them out of their enemies' lands and am sanctified in them in the sight of many nations. Then shall they know that I am Jehovah their God, which caused them to be led into captivity among the heathen. But I have gathered them unto their own land and have left none of them any more there. Neither will I hide my face any more from them. For I have poured out my spirit upon the house of Israel, saith the Lord Jehovah. Now again, God is speaking of gathering his people to their own land. And he also says he left none anymore there. That, that's why Babylon is without an inhabitant. There's uh, not man or beast. All have departed. Every one of God's people has gone spiritually to his or her own land, to the kingdom of heaven. And uh, this is done through salvation. And God's people um, have all been found. All the sheep, the lost sheep have been gathered. And and the Lord has gathered them like a flock uh, to himself. Well, let's go back to Jeremiah 50. And in verse 4. It says, in those days and in that time, saith Jehovah, the children of Israel shall come, they and the children of Judah together, going and weeping. They shall go and seek Jehovah their God. In those days. That, that's um, a clue phrase that God is giving us to help us understand when it's taken place. And there's two possibilities. In those days is mentioned in Matthew 24. In verse 19, and, and a, I'll read three verses here. And woe unto them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. And that would be the great tribulation. And also in um, verse 21, for then shall be great tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Those days, the 23 years of the Great Tribulation, uh, is, is what it's describing. Or verse 29 of Matthew chapter 24. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened. So those days is a reference to the Great Tribulation. That's the first thing we have to think as we're reading Jeremiah 50, verse 4, in those days. So is God saying in the days of the Great Tribulation? We, we think we have to consider that as a possibility. But also look at Mark 13 in the parallel passage or chapter to Matthew 24 and in verse 24 of Mark 13. But in those days, there it is again. After that tribulation, the sun shall be darkened. Is that saying the same thing as Matthew 24, 29? It's saying something different. It's very, very close. And, and well, uh, God's just so, in a good way, deceptive. He's just so deceptive. The, the way he writes things. 
so smoothly and and carefully and precisely and yet he knows that we're 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 very casual readers where we we have to be pushed to study pushed to deeply uh look into things and so we uh, for centuries men have read Matthew 24:29 immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and then for centuries uh, at a later point they read Mark 13:24 but in those after but in those days after that tribulation the sun shall be darkened and they concluded it's saying the same thing we probably didn't even investigate it any further because there is just a slight little difference between the verses. And, and it's only, uh, of course, it also takes God to, um, give us a curiosity and, and to open up our eyes to see that slight little difference. But immediately after the tribulation of those days is referring to the time of the great tribulation. But Mark 13, 24 is saying, but in those days after that tribulation. You see the difference? That It's two periods of time. After the tribulation of those days, in those days, after the tribulation. Two periods of time, both called those days. And, and so that's our options with Jeremiah chapter 50, in those days. And, and then we read, you know, what the verse is saying. Is it referring to the days of the Great Tribulation? Or is it referring to the days after the Great Tribulation? And there are days after the Great Tribulation according to this verse. So the, the whole idea, if you, you hear someone say, well, the Great Tribulation will end and then Christ will come, is wrong. You know it flat out, without question, what about those days after the tribulation? Ask them. It says it right here in Mark thirteen twenty four. Now we happen to be living in a time after a twenty three year great tribulation that ended on May twenty one, two thousand eleven, right? So we we look at it and we understand perfectly. In those days after May twenty one, after that tribulation. Here we are. And God doesn't say how long a period of time, but those days of the tribulation were 23 years. And so just because he calls them those days, uh, there'd be no problem understanding that to mean four years or months or, or anything, any length of time. When we thought there would only be five months, well, that also fit this understanding. It was a period of days after the tribulation. And any understanding someone comes up, they're going to have to explain that. Where, uh, all right, judgment day comes there, you say, immediately after the tribulation. Well, what about those days after? Whether it be two or three days, you have to account for a period of days after that tribulation. And and so here in Jeremiah 50, it says, In those days and in that time, saith Jehovah, the children of Israel shall come, they and the children of Judah together, going and weeping. They shall go and seek Jehovah their God, 
They shall ask the way to Zion with their faces thitherward, saying, Come, and let us join ourselves to Jehovah in a perpetual covenant that shall not be forgotten. And uh, it's interesting that it mentions a covenant because the phrase those days is also used uh, in connection with a covenant in the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 8, it says um, in verse 7, For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second, for finding fault with them. Does anyone remember uh, the study that Mr. Camping did on this passage? And the covenants represented or related to the Old Testament and the New Testament. The first covenant and the second covenant. Finding fault not just with the old covenant, but with them both. The whole Bible. What does that mean that there was fault found with the Bible? Yes, in the sense of the dullness of our minds and the hardness of our our heads were, were very slow. And God had to give the new covenant in order to help explain many things in the old covenant. And yet that wasn't enough. It did clear up certain things. But still, when we read the Bible, uh, we, we lacked great under, uh, understanding to a great many things. And so finding fault with them in the sense that the problem is our um, limited ability to understand the Scriptures, God decided to come up with a new covenant. For behold, the day is come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. In Jeremiah 50, did you wonder why was God referring to Israel and Judah as coming out of Babylon? Both of them together. They will seek the Lord. And and here with this covenant, it's mentioning Israel and Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. After those days. Now... See, when, when this was taught previously, uh, those days was pointed out to refer to the great tribulation. But here God is saying after those days, not in those days. And, and, uh, in, in other words, this has application after those days of the great tribulation as we have entered into the day of judgment in the period of time we're now in. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts and I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. You know, uh, we're not going to have an opportunity today, but there's many verses like that that relate to this period of time where God is um, indicating that he is our God and we are his people and they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me. 
uh, from the least to the greatest. And how do we understand that? Well, after those days, it wouldn't have any application during the time of the Great Tribulation because the Gospel was going out all over the world and and we were teaching the Gospel in order to people here to become saved. And we were saying, Know the Lord. Seek the Lord while He may be found. But now, at this time, there's no need to teach the Gospel in an evangelistic way in order to people here to become saved because all do know Him. All the elect have heard and, and God has blessed His Word to their heart. They have become saved, the least of the greatest. All whose names were recorded in the Lamb's book of life are saved. It is, it is done. That particular aspect of God's plan of redeeming His people is complete. And, and it says in verse 12, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities, while I remember no more. And that would indicate He's forgiven the sins of all of His people. Well, uh, we're going to stop here and uh, we'll pick it up, Lord willing, next time we get together in our next day in the Word. But let's close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank You for Your grace and for Your salvation plan. We thank You, Father, that uh, it is not a gospel of no salvation, but a gospel of the utmost salvation. We we cannot do better than having You save everyone that You intended to save and having a great multitude of saved, redeemed people alive and living upon the earth. Millions upon millions. Uh, There's no comparison to this. This is the greatest, um, glorious uh, truth that that we could think of that you have finished and performed the things that you said you would do in saving a people for yourself. And Father, now you are uh, our God and we are your people. And Father, we have gone to our own land and and we pray for the time that uh, it might be so that we could enter into uh, a newly created heaven and earth. But we thank You for the point that You have taken us and that we have uh, arrived at this uh, moment in time. And, and Father, we do pray that You would help us to serve You and, and to do Your will, uh, whatever it may be, may uh, we take up our cross and follow you and uh, do the things that you would have us to do today and in the days to come. We pray that you would be with everyone here and with Guy uh, in the afternoon as he teaches and may you uh, bless each one of us by your word. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship Sunday Bible Study. For more information or to hear additional Bible studies, be sure to visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com.